everybody and welcome back to the F2 show by Inside F2. Uh, joining me for this one, we have Inside F2's Aaron Harper. Aaron, great to have you with us as always. It's been a little while, hasn't it? Formula 2 cars not been on track for a little while, but uh, not quite race week yet in Formula 2. But there's been lots of news over the last couple of weeks. So we thought we'd have a little sit down, a little catch up uh, to talk about some of that news, didn't we? How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all good. I'm very ready for some Formula 2 action in Abu Dhabi. It's much overdue, but I am very keen for the likes of Teo Pocher, Fred Vesti and everybody else to get back on the track and show us what they've got in Abu Dhabi one last time. Yeah, I'm with you on that as well. Really looking forward to that. Something we actually uh, we we haven't spoken about actually is um, a few of those drivers you've just mentioned um, had uh, a little run in FP1 as well, didn't they, in Mexico? Uh, yeah, what did you make of those uh, performances? Hard to tell, isn't it, how well they've done, but a great experience to to experience Formula One machinery, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like you say, it's it's a great experience, and I think they they were on different programs. I know uh, Fred Vesti, for example, with Mercedes didn't really do any performance running it was all geared around getting the car set up and and sort of learning the, the way the team works and obviously for, for them for Mercedes they take a slightly different approach to it than with other teams they don't go for the outright performance they look at the driver as a whole what can they bring to the team because you know if, if George Russell or Lewis Hamilton was to get injured or be unwell Fred Vesti might get the call and say you know he you're in. You're in a Formula One Grand Prix in a potentially front-running car. So they need to know how he's going to work, how he's going to respond to setup changes, and that's what it's about when you're going in as a Formula Two driver, getting an FP1 session. How do you interact interact with the team? What can you learn from the session? It's not necessarily about setting fast lap times, although we did see Oli Behrman do his very best to give the Haas a good thrashing around the Mexico City circuit. It looked at one point like it was destined for the walls, but he scooped it up nicely. And he was actually quicker than a double world champion. So uh, credit where credit's due for Oli Behrman. But for all those drivers who were involved, so Isaac Hajar, Jack Doohan, and uh, I believe there's one other that I'm forgetting. Bear with me. I will just... Share and Vesti. It was... Well, Pusher didn't get any running at all. Oh, yeah. Did he? That's the one I'm missing because he didn't do any running because of a technical fault. But... For all of them, it would have been invaluable experience in terms of dealing with Formula One and for Porsche, dealing with that sort of downside of Formula One where things go wrong. And that, that's an important lesson if he's going to go on and become a frontline F1 driver like we hope he will. Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely loved as well uh, Ollie Behrman. I don't know if you saw it on Sky Sports F1. Ollie Behrman having a chat uh, with Jensen Button uh, and telling him that he's uh, Jensen Button is Ollie Behrman's idol. And uh, yeah, very very sweet little interview that was, wasn't it? I thought that was uh, I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, it's just kind of funny that Ollie Behrman, who's power sliding through the S's, is saying, "Yes, Jensen Button, Mister Smooth, is my idol." <laughs> the irony. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jensen Button, so smooth, velvet on his tyres. He was just so well known for that. And then there's Ollie Behrman, who's like hyper aggressive. <laughs> but the, I think the modern day driver has changed. You can be super smooth on your tyres, but you still need to have that razor sharp edge of aggression. And we're seeing that in uh, no better form than Max Verstappen. He's got razor blades for elbows, as Martin Brundle would describe it. But he can make those tyres go as far as anyone. It does help if you have a very good car in that respect. But, you know, that that's the model they're all sort of following at the moment. Very aggressive, but they've got to make sure the tyres go the distance. 
That is very true. Um, right, let's talk about some of the news that we've had uh, over the last few weeks then. Um, we've obviously, we've spoken about the Kimi Antonelli news. Uh, if you didn't check out our most recent podcast where I sat down and discussed that with Frecker commentator Chris McCarthy, go and check that out. Yes, I'm going to plug it whilst I'm here. Uh, but there's been a few announcements uh, since then. Um, let's start with the driver announcement for Abu Dhabi that's going to obviously impact this season. And that's Franco Colapinto stepping up to Formula 2 with his Formula 3 team, MP Motorsport, replacing the Formula E-bound Jehan Deruvula. Um, obviously, that's happening, as I said, uh, literally for Abu Dhabi. So that's going to impact on this season, Aaron. What did you make of that announcement? It's kind of a good step, isn't it, in terms of keeping that continuity for a driver stepping up to a, a new category. And he'll know maybe a few team members within within the group, so he'll there'll be a few familiar faces. And I think for a young person, that is really important that you go into an environment that allows you to feel comfortable. And these drivers are being asked to perform instantly. It's eat or be eaten in junior formula. And you see that in the, the lower rungs of the um, Formula One grid as well. You have to deliver immediately. So to have that familiar surrounding, people you know, people who can get the best out of you, it can make all the difference. And obviously... It is only a one-off in terms of 2023 for Franco Colapinto, but he is going to be with that team for 2024 and he'll be alongside his teammate for next year, uh, next weekend in Abu Dhabi as well. So I think that's going to make a real difference too. Definitely. In terms of the, obviously the Formula 2 cars are going to be very different next season. So I think it's probably different in previous years whereby some drivers have jumped in at the end of a year for the last race in Abu Dhabi to get them ready for um, uh, for Formula 2 the following season. But is it with Dennis Hauger, sorry, with Franco Colapinto, um, maybe more about that environment, as you've said, with uh, MP Motorsport stepping up to the environment? The car probably isn't going to be that similar next season, so maybe not getting too much experience in that. But uh, yeah, just getting used to the, the, the surroundings and the, everything off track that comes with Formula 2. Yeah, it could be something as simple as knowing which way the paddock is instead of turning left, you, you turn right. So it, it can they're the small details of, of knowing where to go. But like you say, the environment is really, really important. I mean, the cars are going to change drastically for next season. But I think in terms of standards and the, the quality of driver that you'd expect to see in Formula 2, that's going to be sort of an eye-opener for anyone who, who does this, this sort of standard final swan song appearance for 2023 we see it most most years in formula two someone steps up or three drivers step up from um formula three and then they're in a formula two seat we saw jack do and put it was it on the front row a couple of years ago when yeah. he stepped up from f3 so it's possible that a driver can step up and just arrive and suddenly they're they're on the front row so it is about standards and like you say with, without the the, the continuity of the car. I think it's the environment, it's standards, it's just sort of, it's almost a free hit for Franco and for any other F3 driver that does make that sort of um, final race appearance for, for this season. So uh, yeah, just like you say, getting them ready, but not too much in terms of technical side that can carry over. 
Definitely a Williams back driver, of course, and he's going to be the first Argentinian to race in Formula Two. Uh, and yeah, I'm really excited about Frank Colapinto. I think he's been a, a, a real star over the last couple of seasons in Formula Three. So uh, looking forward to seeing him step up and see what he can do. Uh, as Aaron's already alluded to, uh, he'll be partnering Dennis Halgor, not only for Abu Dhabi this year, but for 2024 as well. Um, and uh, yeah, Dennis Halgor, A, is a good benchmark for Franco Colapinto. Um, and B, yeah, I guess, was you was you surprised to see Dennis Halgor back with MP Motorsport for 2024? Because uh, I think a lot of people were expecting him to move on, right? So uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, was you surprised? Yes and no. I mean, we've been hearing a lot of mutterings about Red Bull trimming down their junior driver program. Maybe a couple of others are going to be let go from it too. So, yes, a little bit surprised that he stayed with MP because they've done okay this season, but they haven't hit the heights of 2022 as they did with Felipe Drogovic. But they're a good outfit. They've delivered race wins for drivers before. So, if Dennis can get it together and show that form that he showed in Formula 3 a couple of years ago, he is absolutely a force to be reckoned with. We just haven't seen it in Formula 2. Maybe next year's car really suits him and we just see him take off and go to another level. And that, That's going to be the big question mark heading into the first few races is, actually, who does this, this new car suit? Who can get the most out of it? We do need to see a lot more consistency from him, though. We, we've seen shades of the pace that he can show, but he hasn't put it together week in, week out. Yeah, a big season for Dennis Halger in 2024, isn't it? And uh, I'm sure he'll be hoping to to go for the title in 2024. As you say, uh, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see who the new car suits um, and uh, getting off to a fast start and uh, that consistency as you talk about, Aaron, absolutely. So that's MP Motorsport. Um, sticking with next season then, uh, it was announced that FIA Formula 3 runner-up this year, Zach O'Sullivan, graduates to Formula 2 with ART as well. That's quite a big move, Aaron. And it to for, for a Formula Three graduate to go straight into um, a, what could be a championship winning car, um, you know, it's uh, yeah, big big move for for Zach O'Sullivan and um, a move that I don't think a lot of people saw coming. No, it was a bit of a surprise. I mean, I, I think we kind of expected Zach to make the step up. He's shown plenty of pace. I mean, he was a distant runner up to Gabriel Bottoletto in the end in Formula Three, but <laughs> Bottoletto made it look a little bit easy at times. So. Yeah, I wasn't surprised that Zach made the jump into Formula 2. I think with ART, it's both a great opportunity, but it's also the sword that might sort of cut his legs out from under him if, if he doesn't perform, because ART have been very, very good the last couple of years. I suppose, like we've mentioned a couple of times already, we need to caveat everything with this new car. I mean, they've been working with this current machine for several years, so they've worked out how to fine-tune it, get the best out of it. It's about getting the driver comfortable. When we get to next season, it'll be driver and team working together to fundamentally understand the car, because they'll get a little bit of testing, but there's never enough testing in motorsport ever. <laughs> so, you know, they're going to be working through it, and it might be mid-season that someone just emerges. And if ART haven't got a handle on the car, then their drivers might struggle. But it's also important to note that ART are a championship winning team and they're leading the championship right now. So that's a tough act to follow. And up against potentially Victor Martens, who we expect to stay there, then that's big boots to fill. 
and a tough opponent in the in the same team as you, that is going to be one heck of a baptism of fire into Formula Two. I completely agree because I think Victor Martins, I think I think is quite of uh, widely recognised that he's had a very very good season uh, as a rookie. He's gone uh, you know head to head with Porsche, beaten Porsche on numerous occasions, uh, and yes, Porsche is winning the championship. I think a lot of that is down to consistency, particularly in the early part of the season, picking up those those points that Victor Martins a uh, few mistakes here and there as he was getting used to the category. But Victor Martins has done very well against Tao Porsche, um, and uh, for Zach O'Sullivan, as you say, it's big uh, big pressure for Zach O'Sullivan in his debut. season season in the category so uh, yeah that's gonna be really really interesting isn't it uh, and a, a williams backs driver as well uh obviously zach o'sullivan we're gonna have a lot of williams drivers on the grid next season aren't we they're becoming the new red bull with just like yeah. just little drivers everywhere in all these different categories jack james Fowles is looking for his next lewis hamilton isn't he the, the guy who's going to come into williams when they suddenly get the car right the 2026 regulations it might be zach o'sullivan that's just plonked into that williams and just off he goes. Amazing. Let's wait and see on that one. But uh, yeah, another really exciting driver announcement. Um, finally, then, uh, PHM announced that Paraguayan driver Josh Dirksen is going to join the team for 2024 as well. He finished 19th in Frecker this season. Uh, it's a big step up, isn't it? Uh, and it's another driver who's jumping straight from Frecker. Uh, up to Formula 2. Obviously, Kimi Antonelli is also doing that. And Josh Mason has stepped up and bypassed Formula 3 this season as well, um, straight into to Formula 2. Is this a little bit concerning for Formula 2, sorry, for Formula 3, Aaron, that that's three drivers in quick succession that have all bypassed the series? Do you, do you think that's a little bit worrying for Formula 3? And is it worrying for, for Formula 1 in general that, you know, on the feeder series ladder, you've now got drivers and teams probably and, uh, t- you know, managers or management companies around the driver wanting to skip Formula 3? Is that worrying? It is a bit of a concern because that obviously the, we've got to remember that these drivers have been driving carts and cars since they were, you know, four five six years old and then you know to put them through that progression so quickly it you know if, if you've got a driver of immense talent and we've seen it with max verstappen you can put them in there my concern is if you put someone in too quickly then there would be a problem thankfully at the moment there hasn't been but if you if you're taking someone like kimmy antonelli who's won the frecker championship in such style you can make a case for it it's like a Formula 3 driver who's finished sort of 10th, 11th, bagging a Formula 1 seat. You go, well, how's that happened? You know, are you ready? And look, Formula 2 is a strong category, but we are also under no illusions that there are some drivers who bring sponsorship for their seats. And we mustn't, we mustn't criticise them for that because, you know, if I had the money, I would be paying for a seat, to be honest. I would do it. I wouldn't be very good, but, you know, I'd, I'd still like a go. Um, but everyone would go, Aaron, you've never driven a, a racing car before. Oh, yeah, it's all right. But it, it might not be all right. That this, You have to think about the whole situation. Obviously, these guys, as I said, have been driving cars and carts since they were very young. So they've got lots of experience, but it is a big step up. I mean, the machinery is supposed to be sort of a, a gradual step. Maybe it's a, 
an indictment of the machinery that Formula 3 are using. Maybe they need to sort of progress that a little bit. And then maybe Formula 2 gets a, pushed a bit closer to Formula 1. But then, you know, you, you don't want it being too much of a jump. It's a very delicate balance. But then there's one phrase that, that caveats the whole thing. If you're good enough, you're old enough. So, you know, it, it's, a, it's a balance. And the stopwatch doesn't lie. So if they're fast, it's fine. Yeah, it is, it's an interesting one, that one, isn't it? Is it the machinery? Um, is part of it that Formula 3 has a 30-car grid and therefore races are quite chaotic? I think that's fair to say on a 30-car grid. Would Formula 3 be better going to a 20-car grid, for example, uh, to make races less chaotic and it be a little bit more about the, the driver skill and a little bit less about luck? Would that would that help the situation? Would drivers feel more comfortable going to, to, to Formula 3 if it's a 20-car grid and they know that their skills are going to be rewarded in that sense? Possibly. I mean, we probably need to ask a couple of drivers. So, you know, if we can uh, tap up Kimi Antonelli and if we can get Josh Mason on the phone as well, because we've spoken to him before and just sort of understand what is the, the, the psychology around that? Is it, the are the races too hectic or is it just, you know, there's an opportunity and in the case of Kimi Antonelli, this is clearly a potentially, you know, generational talent. You know, I know that that phrase gets banded around a lot, but he's doing things that s some drivers have done before him. And there's only a few drivers who have done it. You know, you're looking at the sort of things that Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen would have achieved in, in those sort of cars. So going back to your question, yes, maybe going to a 20 car grid, maybe 24, just offering a few more spaces would be, would be good because I think there's 22 on the grid in Formula 2. You want to give as many opportunities as possible. It's a fine fine balancing act I've got, there, I've got to say I, I quite like the structure of formula one formula two formula three yeah and then peels off a little bit with frecker gb3 you know there's a few options there before it gets to to formula four i do, I do like having the, the you know the top three tiers in terms of formula one formula two formula three starting formula three you work your way up if you're good enough you go to formula two if you're good enough you go to formula one you've got to build the super license points i i do personally i really like that system um but yeah it is to me that is quite concerning that we have got some drivers who clearly don't feel like uh, Formula 3 is the right step for them and therefore we get drivers jumping straight into Formula 2. Um, to me, and there's no criticism of those drivers, absolutely, they you know do, do what they need to do. But um, to me, it's more of a worry for the feeder series ladder and for Formula 1 to worry about, that you have got drivers who feel it's necessary to skip a category um, I think Kim, Kimi Antonelli is an exception because of his, as you say, it, it, the talent that he has demonstrated. But, you know, unless you have situations like that, drivers like, um, you know, dri drivers that are finishing, uh, you know, top, you know, two, three, four, five, you know, surely it makes sense for them to step up. Surely as a system, it makes sense for them to step up to the next category, not jump a category. Um, so, yeah, maybe that's something to, for, yeah, something for us to ask a few drivers, definitely to understand why that is. Yeah, I mean, I like, I like your idea of the sort of promotional steps. It's it's a bit like the the football pyramid in in the UK, where if you finish in a certain position, you will go to the next division. I mean, it, it's slightly different like that in in motorsport because, like I've mentioned, funding plays a big role, and you know you might not be able to fund the seat, and it becomes more and more expensive as you go up. But then maybe if those position certain positions come with a budget for you know, helping you get another seat. And the same with Formula 2. This is something that I've long felt Formula 1 itself, Formula 1 management could probably do better is 
support getting those young drivers from Formula 2, especially the champions, because the last two champions, and we're looking at a third, haven't gone straight onto the F1 grid. Okay, Oscar Piastri has finally got onto the F1 grid with McLaren and has shown he's absolutely worthy of a C, but that there must be a way to to help getting Felipe Drogovic on the seat on the, on the scene because he's, he's won the championship. He's proven he's got the ability, you know, if, you know, let's say McLaren hadn't given Lewis Hamilton that seat in 2007, there's rumors he would have been chucked in the 2007 Honda. His career would have been very, very different. He might not have ended up on the grid at all. You know, suddenly you're missing out on this amazing talent. If Red Bull hadn't plumped Max Verstappen, out of F3 and into the uh, the uh, Toro Rosso, it was called then. Again, we're missing out potentially on a world champion. So I, I like your your concept, and I think that there's something to be said for it because if you if you secure a position like the top three in Formula Three should automatically go to uh, Formula Two, and then you've got to figure out a way to stop the bottleneck at the top of Formula Two and get them onto the grid in Formula One. Yeah, to give themselves an opportunity. Um, to secure an F1 seat. IndyCar do it really well. The IndyCar champion gets, I think it's a million dollars of sponsorship to help them secure an IndyCar seat for the following season. And it works really well. You get these drivers coming onto the grid. So it's just, it's Formula One sorting out its model and then everything sort of falling into place. But we know with Formula One and the, the political side of things, it doesn't move particularly quickly. Yeah, very true. Um, yeah, that whole conversation is absolutely a conversation for another day, particularly the Theo Porsche conversation, who uh, looks like he's going to win the Formula 2 Championship this season and is not going to get a seat, as you say, the same as Felipe Dragovic and uh, Oscar Piastri, uh, which means it's going to be three years in a row. But yeah, that's a conversation for another day. A uh, conversation for today that I wanted to get your thoughts on just before we go, Aaron. Uh, you've mentioned him there, Andrea Kimi Antonelli stepping up to Formula 2 with Prima. Looks like he's going to be along Alongside Ollie Behrman. Um, how excited are you to see Andrea Kimi Antonelli in Formula Two? And uh, yeah, what do you think he can do uh, next season? And the way I heard Chris McCarthy speak to you about him, I feel that we have got something very special arriving in Formula Two next season. It's going to be a completely even playing field, like we've mentioned throughout this podcast, with the new car. So if he comes in and gels with the car, we could see him win F2. And then for Mercedes, have a, have a headache because suddenly they've got an F2 winning driver on their hands and two drivers in their team under contract. You're not going to sack Lewis Hamilton and you're not going to drop George Russell because you need him to replace Lewis. So honestly, I think the plan for Mercedes with Kimi is to have him do two seasons of Formula 2. I think that would be absolutely perfect. It yeah. lines up well. End of 2025, he should theoretically then be ready, whether he's won the title or not. He would probably have come very close, considering he's with Prima. If he does both years with Prima, then he, he should win the title at some point, you'd think, or at least get very close. Lewis Hamilton's contract will be up, as would George Russell's. Lewis calls it a day. Kimi Antonelli steps in. I don't. I'm not sure Mercedes would put a rookie into the car, but if they're displaying the talent that Kimi Antonelli is, it's definitely a possibility. I know that's getting ahead of ourselves and that, you know, there's a lot that can happen between now and then, but I think that's the sort of driver we're looking at. Mercedes have made this move for him with that intention in mind that he's a possibility to join the team if and when Lewis Hamilton 
calls it a day in 2025. Yeah, I, I think with Kimi Antonelli, I, I think uh, both Mercedes and Prem are probably looking at it thinking if he could have an Oli Behrman style season, rookie season in Formula 2, finish fifth, sixth, uh, and set himself up really well for a title bid in 2025, I think that's perfect uh, outcome all round. You know, gain that experience for this season, uh, push for the title in 25 and then 26 when, uh, as you say, the Mercedes boys' uh, contracts are up for renewal and a lot of other drivers on the Formula 1 grid's uh, uh, contracts uh, come to an end at 2025. That's probably the ideal situation for them um but yeah let's wait and see really exciting really exciting that we've got some driver announcements starting to filter through and there's going to be lots more to come as well not only before abu dhabi i'm sure there'll be a few driver changes for abu dhabi as well um but uh, also some announcements over the winter as well that's all we've got time for today not long until the season finale in abu dhabi but make sure you subscribe and you follow us on social media because insider 2 is the place to be for all announcements and uh, other content it's going to be coming your way over the next couple of weeks and throughout the winter. But from me, Fraser Ford, and all of us here at Inside F2, we'll see you next time.